BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Alrighty, here we are back on the show. A quick reminder before we get started, as always, if you like the show, I could use a review, a rating maybe, say something nice or don't say something at all. Either way, thanks for listening and let's get started on the show today. Another in-person, physically here at the studio, bunch of people, great energy, great chemistry, joined by Melissa Page, who's the co-founder of NAMAPA, which is a very long acronym. We'll get into that in a second. And Liz Johnson, who's also the co-founder of NAMAPA, but she's a nurse. And Melissa is a pharmacy tech. And they're kind of pissed off at the system, which is super cool. We need people really pissed off. So NAMAPA stands for, I'm going to read this off the paper, the National Association of Medical... See, I broke it. I broke it. The National Association of Medication Access and Patient Advocacy the hell does that mean? Here's the gist. So the doctors are on one side and the patients are on the other side. And in the middle are all the people that actually get the shit done in terms of billing and prescriptions and insurance and navigate all the things that happen behind the scenes. Like, like you breathe all day, but you don't know how you breathe. Your body just breathes. Your kidneys just work. Autonomy, right? The autonomic function between doctor and patient. That's their space. And they're really pissed off because this entire sector of autonomousness, I'm making that word up with respect to this industry, just don't get shit done because there's too much cholesterol in the artery. And this conference coming up this fall in Galveston called the Healthcare Advocate Summit, it's not about patients, it's not about doctors, it's about these aggrieved middle people. They're not middle management, they work their asses off, they're senior leadership, and they're just pissed off that they can't do their jobs because the system is kind of fucked up. Anyway, you'll get the gist of what we're talking about. This is Liz Johnson and Melissa Page. You're in for a treat. Enjoy the show. So when I get started, first of all, welcome. It's good to see you. See you, see you. You're physically here. I'm staring at you at Allscript Media. This is my second show taping in a row with people actually here in the studio. Fantastic. That's right. How refreshing, <laughs> how normal. So I want to get started by railing on the pharma conference industry, something that has been a bete noir of mine, if I could use a fancy term on the show right now. Historically, patients have never really been considered as a monetized asset to industry. So I can kind of forgive the mid-2000s, early 2010s, that the idea of a patient conference that has no patients at it 
fine, mulligan. But here we are, all these years later, with this jargon of patient centricity and patient voice and patient engagement. Buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Fucking buzzwords. And yet, there are still no patients at the patients conference. I'll start with Melissa. Go ahead. I agree. So I did go to a patient summit. Um, I've been to a couple of them. And I look in there and it's about 90% industry. Uh, I did find the patients in there. It was far and few of them. And they were the ones asking the really good questions at the end of, you know, engagement, clinical trials, where's our voice. And everybody had a, a very... I'll say legal approved message back to them mm -hmm. and, you know, a telephone number who they should contact. But I kept seeing them the next year. So it didn't look like there was any right. sort of change from one year to the next. And I think you've got a couple of layers here. You've got the patient, you've got the person who works with the patient, and then you start getting everybody who is working for pharma, pharmaceutical companies, specialty pharmacy, and so where I fell into for the past 10 to 15 years is working with the patient. So we were the patient voice that couldn't come to these things. And I would say as much as the, the patients need to be heard, also the people who understand how to champion some of these things to help the patients, just as unrepresentative uh, in a lot of these organizations and conferences. Well, isn't it marketing 101 that like word of mouth is the best way to spread your message and to spread what your, you know, what your product is? I mean, that's how think about like Angie's list, right? People talk about the tradesmen that they use, how their service was. You have patients on your medication. So why wouldn't you want them speaking about it? Why wouldn't you want them talking about their experiences for better or for worse? Post-study data is so valuable to clinicians. If it's not working, that's just as valuable as I feel better. So by letting patients talk about it, and that's kind of like you think 2010, right? That's the era of Facebook starting, things like that. All of a sudden, groups are created. All of a sudden, these private chat rooms open up. So would you rather them keep that to themselves and it not go well? Or would you rather be able to share that openly and incentivize them, whether it's by, hey, let's change your medication. Let's get you on the right therapy so the patient's better. Or, hey, if it's working for you, talk to other patients. Be that ambassador. Be that liaison. Well, without giving myself too many hives, I've done more adverse event training than I could ever expect to need to have in my career. And for those of you that don't know what that is in the listener world, you can Google it and then shoot yourself because it's the worst thing ever. Adverse event reporting is when patients talk about their experience on a medication where the people who made the medication didn't expect the patient to have something happen to them that they didn't expect. So anytime a patient says, oh, this happened, it has to be reported that those fucking commercials may side effects may include death, your eyes falling out, your head falling off, your legs falling off, right? Those are reported outcomes that have to be reported. My question in response to you, Liz, is it possible that industry is afraid to convene these patient groups because it would be an AE nightmare. Oh, I'm sure. So I come from a background in allergy. And what happens when you have an adverse event or an adverse reaction to something? You usually go see an allergist. And being in that community and being so forward and focused on those adverse events and those adverse reactions, yeah, it's a paperwork nightmare. It's a reporting nightmare. But isn't that how science gets better? Isn't that how we develop new medications and we push things further? So I think by finding the right people that believe in that and believe and support that mission and want the best for their patients, 
patient-centric, right? Nightmare or not, that's what has to happen. So it's all about the fucking lawyers. Compliance, adherence, regulatory, pharmacovigilance, these fancy syllables, right? Yeah. If it were me, right, and I'm working with a patient, they tell me something happened, even if it's just kind of off the cuff, like, oh, I had this weird random leg pain. That's important. We need to figure out, was that related to your medication or was it not? Because your therapy and your quality of life is that important that we're going to have to drill down and do it. So that's that passionate side of, of advocacy that really needs to come back to, to the forefront. And I'll say, uh, stepping in from, you know, working as a healthcare provider, that anytime something did need to be reported, we knew that 500 pages were going to be following. And if that didn't get answered, then 500 more, two more phone calls. And it's like, look, I can tell you when the patient stopped that treatment, but you're going to have to talk to the physician, you know, because all of this is getting documented. If it's going to get documented, it needs to get documented properly. And then I also saw some of our staff that would report it in a way, you know, the adverse event lines versus telling some of the reps or pharma because, you know, you tell patient stated. Yeah. You know, anything that you bring up, it's like, I think oh, when, you can't do air quotes on the radio, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have to put quotes in there. Yeah, that phrase, patient statement. They, they they understood it was air quotes. Yeah, yes. because she's like patient. <laughs> That's her putting the air quotes up here. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot of work, even behind the scenes of what happens to these things. And I think sometimes some of these uh, events may not be reported how they need to, just because of all the regulatory behind it, and. Just it's nonstop, just faxes and trying to figure out everything behind the scenes. I want to dig deeper into your backstory in pharmacy tech. Mm -hmm. What got you into that? So uh, I hated high school and um, they had (laughs) those programs where you can not be in high school, but go to kind of like trade or a college on the side. And so, you know, graduated from culinary arts. I can do phlebotomy, pharmacy tech. You can tell how much I hated high school because I did everything. I almost went into plumbing if I had to go back into high school. So uh, pharmacy tech is what I ended up going into. And from that, you know, they give you a little certificate. I learned how to count by fives really well because that's how you count the pills. And I'm like, okay, well, what do we do with this? Is like retail your only option? And I didn't understand all the complexity around what pharmacy is how many different places that they're at. And really, they touch every part of the patient in any hospital, um, outpatient pharmacies. And so from that, literally, I had that certificate. I'm like, my goal is going to be to try to do every job I can with this. I called it a little certificate at the time. But, you know, I ended up doing infusion. I ended up working at my favorite, a mail order pharmacy where we were one of the distributors for Viagra, Cialis, um, everything. I mean, we were mailing it out to baseball stars. That's like de-identify nightmare, oh, right? Absolutely. And it was, it, they would send us like millions of bottles that we would just have to open. And when I went home, I had like Viagra in the pleats of my pants. We were like vacuuming it up. I'll probably getting erections at work. I'm not sure. So, but <laughs> well, not they, you, yeah, not, not me. You don't got the parts. No, I don't. So, um, but yeah, I ended up going into that. I really enjoyed it. And because it was a, there were so many different positions you can do. And I wanted to make sure I tapped into every area of it. So I, you know, did mail order pharmacy, Kind of sounded like mail order bride, but it wasn't. Uh, That's a know. different mail order. <laughs> <laughs> Worked with the the VA military treatment facilities. 
Um, my favorite was working for a PBM. I was on the wait, other wait, side. Jargon alert. Acronym uh, alert. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Pharmacy benefit manager. There you go. So doctors were calling in trying to get approval for their patients. Uh, and I kind of felt like the guy on uh, Incredibles, if you've seen that show, where he's like, go to the fourth floor, knock on the door, do this. That's a oh, movie. the loophole guy. Yeah, the, the loophole loop, that guy. I was. I was the loophole. I was like, hey, did they try five of these? These are the ones that it is. Do you see it in their chart anywhere? Because it was, you know, look at the list. What are these? Or we were using acronyms that we were scripted to use. And it's like some people may not know what that is, you know. So where did you start to feel the real burnout and exasperation that shit just wasn't getting done to help people? I would say right after working for the military. I mean, the military is you go in and you get everything for free. It's like Walmart, uh, you know, babies crying, waiting forever. Just everybody's in the lobby. But it wasn't until I went to a health system. So I worked for um, one of the universities in Virginia and it wasn't until then that I had patients coming in and our door said patient assistance. I'm like, OK, we can do this. People are knocking on the door. We look like a janitor closet. And uh, my role was to help out with uh, 340B write-off. And I know I said 340B, but 340B is a qualification that hospitals can get where they can get you know, rebates and discounts based on the population you serve. And... Uh, my job was we had so many of these patients that were coming in to qualify that we could actually get free medication for them through the manufacturers. And while we can do that and we weren't ordering as much, you know, we didn't have as many patients in the hospital, it was helping out because our patients were adherent. They were now getting 90 days worth of supply of medication. They didn't have to travel. And so it was really helping out all of our patients who were on maintenance medications, I felt like. Uh, we started getting oncology patients coming through. Those were a little bit tougher, but I could still figure it out. And it wasn't until my first patient that came in that said, I have insurance and I can't afford it. And for me, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what Medicare is and figuring that out. And that's really where it stemmed. Liz, your your space is really in like, is it fair to say access, knowing shit exists? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to that knowing shit exists, right? I always talk about allegorically, you enter the shit happens store, which is typically cancer. Mm -hmm. Rare disease is a different kind of store. Of course, you're kind of stuck in the store most of the time. This is a store you want to get out of quickly, but it's not a store you spend time researching, getting into, like buying a car. Mm -hmm. Who's Nobody there to asks help? to go into that store. Nobody wants to go into that store. It's the <laughs> store, like, fuck, I'm shopping in the store. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your perspective on, has it gotten better in terms of knowing shit exists in the store when there's no greeter, even though there may be, quote, I'm doing air quotes on purpose. I'm speaking and saying air quotes, patient navigation. So I come from not rare disease, not cancer, right? So allergy, immunology, a little bit of different space, primary immunodeficiency. It's out there. You see the commercials. You're well aware. So you would think access is well-developed, right? You would think that, oh, because I see that commercial on or, oh, because the manufacturers have extra reps for this and extra territories that we know what's going on and that we're going to be able to get whatever it is that we need. But that's not true because it, it's a generational thing. What happens a lot of time, there's a high staff turnover, uh, especially when you're talking um, certifications versus licensure and in the private practice world. So a nurse where I worked said, hey, I'm retiring. Here's this book. Here's what you're supposed to do. Good luck. And leaves. Well, I, I'm figuring it out from scratch. I'm calling manufacturers. Well, 
that sales rep moved to another manufacturer, this FRM went here. So there's no reliable point of contact. So that becomes trial and error. So that access that, you know, hey, they have this program and they have this and you go to Google something and the flyer that you find or the reimbursement guide that you find is outdated. It's three versions ago. So that access that supposedly is there isn't always there. So, so then, like cholesterol builds up in the artery of progress mm-hmm, that correct. prevents the blood from getting to where it needs to go later and, on. And you just get a headache. I mean, I think a lot of these materials, and I always joked, it's like you've got a bookshelf of everything. Nothing's on the spine, so I can't read it. It's not like going to the library. There's no archive. That first fire I have every fall when the weather starts to cool off or all of my outdated um, manufacturer and pharmaceutical guides, reimbursement guides, coding that doesn't exist anymore. It got a J code, so I don't need this, you know, unclassified stuff anymore. And that's one of the biggest holdups is these outdated forms because we're still so paper-based in healthcare and an office is filling it out, sending it in. That's the wrong version. Send me this next one. Then you're chasing down patient signatures, provider signature. You forgot to tell them how you send it in. Fax machine. Fax. My listeners, if you go back in the in the sometimes in the feed, mail, sometimes Donkey Express, I feel like I was gonna go with like Carrie Pigeon or the Mountaintop Beacons <laughs> of Gondor if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. But we talked no, about No, it's my the, owl going from Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but the fucking fax machine is still a thing. How is it still a thing? Ma'am, we didn't get your fax. Well, I have a confirmation here. We still didn't get it. I'm like, it shows you got it. Hey, whoever coined electronic fax, which is just a snazzier version of email, basically, right. you know, that goes into a fax queue that still doesn't get right, there. Right. They're super wealthy now. Fax. It, th- everything revolves around this fax machine and getting further into the access portion, right? So everyone knows prior authorization. You've got to ask for permission before you treat your patient. But there's different types of that. So technically, we need to kind of pull back on this prior authorization. It needs to be pre service review because you've got things like, predetermination, which is a written submission and has up to 45 days to give you an answer. Can you imagine a patient waiting 45 days for a yes or a no? In the federal world, you've got advanced benefit determinations or ABDs and medical necessity review. I mean, I can go down the list. Each has its own method of being submitted. So some like fax, some like mail. And then we had COVID hit, right? And these departments and these uh, individuals reviewing cases all went to work from home or alternate locations. Now you're mailing to random P.O. boxes, random fax numbers, and hoping something happens. So I should have bought stock in fax machines back in the day. Back with our guest after the break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let's talk about NAMAPA. I'm going to try this because it's a lot of words here and I'm reading it off the page. The National Association of Medication Access and Patient Advocacy. It's like 30 syllables, but what the hell is NAMAPA or is it NAMAPA or NAMAPA? We did it. We. My favorite is, what was it? NAMPA. Yeah, <laughs> NAMPA. So it, it's NAMAPA. You're correct there. And how do you combine so many important terms into a name? And so we did our best. It took a really long time to actually pick out a title um, for this organization. I mean, were you like on a fridge magnet binge for a little while here? It was a long <laughs> call and I have the recording of it. And <laughs> we we had a couple different names prior to that. But then, you know, how do you how do you refer to it? How, what do you put on your business card? What do you put on LinkedIn? Like, what do, what do you do? Who with do it? we want to invite? Who's invited to yeah. this table? And that was really, it's everyone. The most encompassing we could get. And NAMAPA just kind of rolls off the tongue once you know how to say it correctly. It's all about the syllables. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> With the right emphasis. Actually, my eighth grade English teacher used to say, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yes. Mrs. Orock. Rip Mrs. Orock. <laughs> the things we name. take with us into adulthood. Seriously. And also, so you came up with this grandiose idea out of the desire to do something no one else was doing because everything's like fuck tangled. Well, I'll say um, from starting the conference, uh, the Healthcare Advocate Summit, I wanted it to be under a nonprofit, but it's really hard to gather people to do a lot of free shit and dedicate time and have the same passion as you. And so um, at first, the Healthcare Advocate Summit was not that way, and COVID hit. And when COVID hit, you know, I think even before. Okay, I'm I cutting were, you off okay. because I'm going to tell the real story of how this happened. Well, I'm I'm telling the story before I met Liz, so I wanted to get a nonprofit. Well, there's three sides to every story, right? And you put three just in a room. There's seven opinions. So I had previously had this a similar idea for a nonprofit because I have great friends and connections in the access world, and. Hey, does anybody have a contact for this manufacturer? Hey, I'm struggling with this copay card. Can someone help me? So I had resources and connections I could work through a lot with, but that doesn't happen cross therapeutically, right? There's ones for oncology, there's ones for rheumatology, but there's not a, hey, this is a process, like let's all work on it together. And so kind of tried to spin that up and it never went anywhere. And then Melissa and I were connected and we were actually out. This is prior roles for both of us. We were out on a consulting um, thing and on the plane on the way back, we're sitting there and we're like, what is something like, what's your dream? What do you want to do? We both said nonprofit. And within a week, we had a call teed up. We had a team and we said, okay, let's do this. How are we going to make this happen? And so that was, we put it in the mornings, right? Usually when we would commute to work. So we took that hour that we'd be getting ready or going somewhere and just really used our time and started talking about what sucked, what worked, what we wanted to change, and what the eventual goal was. So let's discuss that specifically. What was the white space? Because the way I was to understand when we first met what you're up to is this is not another fucking pharma conference, but this is not another fucking useless patient conference. It's somewhere in the middle. 
and it's never been done before philosophically, what is the hill to die on that is the rationale for creating this? A missing need. I was going to multiple conferences, same 10 people were showing up, lots of industry people, and I don't think the right emphasis was being taken on the people doing the work to help the patients. You know, you have pharmaceutical conferences with programs that they spend a lot of money to put together, but getting the feedback from the people using those programs, I was like one of a few that did multiple consulting things with the different organizations. And really, I kept wanting to to have this, this voice. There had to be more people coming. And so, you know, I, I spoke for a lot of different companies out there that, um, you know, they blast us emails all the time. And, you know, I asked them, like, this is the emphasis that we need to take. This is what we need to do. And it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. Um, and from there, you know, you can only complain so much. Like, you know, I'm seeing the same 10 people. We're not marketing to these people. And I'm going to pull an MZ and I'm going to say it's because the people that are doing this job, it really came out of you being in the trenches, myself being in the trenches. They are severely underpaid. They are making their facilities and their private practices millions of dollars, saving them time and time again. Yet some of these people don't even make $15, $16 an hour and they don't have the proper resources. They don't have access to greater resources their providers, their facilities aren't going to pay to send them to the average conference because what's your ROI is always the first question. No, it's always the it's always the C-suite or there's, office practice managers going, yeah. people who not doing the work. There's no professional support for these people who are doing this. And I found it out of frustration. You found it out of frustration. And so this conference really, I mean, speak the truth. You needed help. You needed access. So you weren't getting it from what was out I there. I needed to find more Melissa pages so around you, you everywhere. You made it yourself. You said, I'm I'm going to find the others. And that's that's the empowerment. I'm, I'm pushing you here on this because mm -hmm. don't sell yourself short. There was a need. You needed it. So you went and found a solution to what you need. And that's what's bringing all of these advocates, healthcare advocates, whatever the official defining term is, that's what bring, is bringing them to this table is that same desire. I mean, the cautionary tale here, as someone who produced 30 patient conferences across the spectrum of my tenure at Stupid Cancer, small ones and big ones all around the country, the cautionary tale is echo chamber. You don't want it to be a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, hang out at the hotel bar for social interaction, swapping business cards and never seeing anyone again. Do you have a plan? Because you're woke to this, like this can't be that. How do you plan to take advantage of the people who choose to be there? Because they're paying to be there in terms of retention. And I'll make a word up, cyclicism. So uh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's all about the syllables, yeah, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. Every conference is like, hey, I've, I met my friend on the last day. I'll see you in 365 days if COVID doesn't hit. Maybe, you know, we'll do more. But um, NAMAPA is the so what after this. So I've spent almost two, uh, you know, the, the group has almost spent like two, three years on this because postponed and everything. And now we've got this great, I mean, group together and we're now slingshotting them over to the, the so what. You know, you need to make sure they feel something, make sure that they get away with something. Like what is the next steps? And so... We've done a really good job um, at cross-promoting, and the, the two groups have, 
And so these members are going over and that's where it is. That's where the chat forms, that's where the ongoing resources and, you know, this healthcare advocate summit will continue with the support together with NAMAPA. Yeah, the summit is really, that's that's the pinnacle, right? So we're going to get to see people for the first time in a while. So let's take a moment and talk about this summit, the Healthcare Advocate Summit. Listeners are going to hear this. Why should they care? What should they do? Does this matter to them? And more importantly, what do they get out of it if they care about it? I'll take this one. Okay. Besides going to Galveston in real life. Yes. <laughs> and getting to hang out with us. I mean, dream team here. I'm looking at them right now. You know, we're going to have a good time. <gasps> so the Healthcare Advocates Summit is a three-day conference that is like the other conferences in that we're offering education, we're offering networking, but it really comes down to the bond and why you would go. So that bond is something that comes from we want the best for our patients. Every single thing we do, every form we fill out, every fax machine we send something through, there's a patient at the end of that. But how do I make that process, and to coin one of your terms, suck less? How do we improve speed and efficiency? And how do we take these individuals who sometimes are looked at as just admins and really empower them and say, listen, what you're doing is you're forming processes that have band-aids stuck here and stuck there because of a system that's broken. So you're making all these workarounds. Share your workarounds. The process is the process. We can't change that. So how do we teach someone who needs to know that process and make it better for them? And then you've made a friend. So maybe they're in oncology and maybe I'm in rheumatology. Hey, we're still trying to access things. Now I've got someone that I can go to. So the Healthcare Advocate Summit is taking topics such as reimbursement, such as prior authorization or pre-service review, taking things like experience, okay, trials, failures, coming out on the other side, and bringing that emotional side of it, that passion, that dedication, that frustration, because a lot of it's there, and bringing others to the table that may be new, may also be sharing the same thing. But bringing in the exhibitors, the other stakeholders in the industry that can either help make it better, carry their message louder, or pitch in, roll up their sleeves and say, okay, let's really solve this. To tee off of that, I wasn't able to make impact or change at being more efficient, more effective until I figured out who the stakeholders were at the pharmaceutical companies, that there are these field reimbursement teams that can talk HIPAA. And, you know, I joke, they come in, everybody looks fancy dress, nice bags, heels, and I didn't know who could help me on this. And so once I realized what that was and being involved in a lot of different advisory boards and they want to hear people, I'm like, look, you need to get the experts, but you also need to get the new people trying to figure this out. And so this group that's coming is who pharma, technology solutions, everybody would want to reach out to. Because they're the ones using their programs. They're going to get the, the feedback, the real life. Everybody's super excited to meet these people because they're untouchable. And even with the foundations that um, we're forced networking is what we're doing. We're forcing the network. So we talked at the top of the show about the uselessness, the generic uselessness historically of fucking pharma conferences. And we want to make it clear that this is being done and thought about philosophically from the ground up very differently. It's by healthcare advocates and that's who's running it. So who would typically come to these, I'll just keep saying fucking pharma conferences that wouldn't matter as much to this conversation because it's way more intended for a different catalog 
and category of thought leader? I'm going to say they're welcome there. I think they would learn a lot, but I would think lower on this list would be physicians, would be your prescribers, because they're going to make a medical decision for their patient, what they think is best best suited. They're going to come out to these healthcare advocates and say, I want my patient on this. From that moment until it's administered to that patient, it is that person's job to execute. And so physicians would learn what goes into that process, but this isn't geared towards them. This isn't about your prescriber. This isn't about numbers. This isn't about, you know, pharmaceutical companies getting bigger, better, you know, and that's part of it. This is about that. And I'm not going to, I don't want to say middle person, but it's about the the executioner of that plan. It's taking your your healthcare team and taking it one step further. So you're convening the right people in this middle market segment. Like, yes, these are not middleman people. The middle warriors. Yes. We don't want to undermine the value of these incredibly important individuals. But would you say that this is kind of a like a life hackery experience? You said sharing your best practices, how you got around the system, what you did to be successful. How did you save this patient's life? Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those like if you uh, I don't know if anybody, you know, listening is on Reddit and they share their life hacks, right? Like how do they do? How do they get cheaper groceries? Where do they get their coupons from? It's the same principle. It's what website have I found that works faster? What tech solution makes my process, you know, quicker? And, and you find a good healthcare advocate or somebody in this space who cares about the patients, who found a way to make sure that this patient gets their medication a month earlier than anticipated, you know, that gives them six extra months of their life, you know, that they can make the next Christmas. Those are the advocates who want to share. And sometimes they don't have anybody to share it with. And so, you know, it's like having this phone a friend and we do it all the time, you know, and we did when we worked in the practice. Um, We've got this patient, this plan, what would you do? And boom, you've got a great story. Patient got her medication the next day and she was waiting months. Absolutely. And it's that collaboration that's missing, but let's let's push it a little bit further, right? These these advocates, healthcare advocates that have had successes, have had failures and had to learn from that makes them great mentors, makes them want to share. And, you know, in nursing, we call brand new graduates nurselings. I wish we had like an advocatelings. I can't you even can say that word. You can get away with that because you're a nurse. <laughs> I, I, I can't, can't get away with really. that. You can get away with that. Um, but it, it's it, that mentorship, that willingness to share. So you commiserate over the trials and failures and the frustrations, but you also bond over the successes and that feel good. It's almost like it's almost an addiction, right? You're chasing, chasing, chasing. When you get that approval or that patient gets that medication, that feel good moment, that's what carries you to the next one. And you just ride this roller coaster, but then you get in a room with other people. I mean, we've done this offline here talking about, you know, with your experience and with our experience, what that feels like sharing that with a room of say 500 people. I mean, that's a, that's a high that, you know, it's gonna be hard to recreate. Every person that I jumped on the phone when we were trying to interview for year 2020 summit and you hear their stories and it's like, oh my gosh, here's another one. Here's another one. And what I didn't find is they didn't have a similar title. You know, they were called biologic coordinators, med assistants. Uh, I had a receptionist come in. She even put receptionist. So people are doing the work. It's not a designated role. Uh, some facilities don't even have it outlined as a job description, which I think that's an issue too. But you're finding all the people that are doing the same work. So I think that's what this is too, is 
let's come together. Let's help define what this healthcare patient advocate is. And when I say that, um, I'm talking about mainly the people working in the healthcare system. It's we, like trench yeah. life hackery. How's yeah. that? It's <laughs> a great way to put it. You're welcome. Wrapping up quickly, what's the pitch? Who are we targeting? Who should know that? I know you said everybody. What is everybody? It's nobody. Specifically, who do you believe stands the most to gain? It's the person that picks up an order, picks up a script that the physician said is, I want my patient on this and takes it and says, I'm going to get them on that. And they do whatever it takes, copay assistance, authorizations, whatever that is, and they deliver. It's that person. And then secondary, third, it's the pharmaceutical companies. It's the people spending millions of dollars in these programs to get access programs for these advocates that are coming. It's uh, specialty pharmacies that we have to utilize. These are their customers. It's technology solutions that they're trying to uh, sell to the hospital systems. But I'm telling you, you need to get the advocate buy-in on these solutions. And a lot of these technology solutions just go straight to the CFO. Let me show you how much money you can save. But if you don't have buy-in from the people doing the work, which I've seen a lot of companies, even ones who've jumped on and maybe have separated from the Healthcare Advocate Summit because they didn't feel like we had the right key decision makers there, you know, those are people I don't want there anyways. But everybody who is selling something or who has support for the patient, we're in the room with that patient. And so those are the people that we need there. The payers... If they will come out, because we've invited them, I think everybody wants to know, well, do I have three other friends coming so um, I won't get beat up? But we we need all of those people there. All right. Trench life hackery at the Healthcare Advocate <laughs> Summit. Look, I'm not just the hair club president, listeners. I'm also a client. As if what we've discussed today isn't enough incentive to at least go to the website and learn more. I'm the keynote. So you get to meet me, have drinks with me. I've never said that. I feel like I'm just like self-flagellating here on the radio. (laughs) But I'm excited, A, not just to hang out with these people and be part of what I think has the potential to be a truly transformational event in the industry. I just want to get the fuck out of New York. And I'm willing to go to Galveston, Texas for you people. So with that said, I want to thank Elizabeth Johnson and Melissa Page, co-founders of NAMAPA and producers of the Healthcare Advocate Summit for joining me here live. And you can learn more at AdvocateSummit.com. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.